Thank you, brother. Thank you for those that serve with you each and every single Sunday. So grateful that you're here this morning. If you have a Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, I invite for you to join me in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. And hopefully when you came in, you got one of these bulletins on the back of that. There'll be some notes if you want to use those as we work through the Word of God this morning. Exodus chapter 12 is going to be the focus of our study and application through God's Word today. Probably about 30 years ago, um, over 30 years ago, I know I said it, and I know I said it multiple times, and it's something that sometimes some of you students say as well. It's the idea that whenever I can't wait to get out of this house, or I can't wait to get out of school, because when I do, then I can get to do what I want to do, and I can get to be my own boss. Then as you move out of those adolescent years and you move on into adulthood, you find yourself thinking to yourself, hmm, I still have a boss. I still have someone that I'm responsible to. And so then you start to see as your early adulthood, you start to think to yourself, well, I don't like having a boss. I know what I'll do. I'll start my own business. I'll start, go out on my own. I'll do some freelance. I'll do something of my own. And then once you do that, you realize that you still have a boss. And then as I expect, this is just anecdotal what I think, I suspect that you get to the more uh, senior years and you think, well, I know what I'll do, I'll retire. And then when I retire, I'll truly be able to do what I want, when I want, how I want. And then yet, from what my observation is, and Mr., uh, I could be wrong, Virgil, but what I my observe is, is that then you get to those years and your life is dictated by doctor's appointments, softball schedules, grandkids, and you still find yourself in a season of going, I still answer to someone. And if I was going to try to sum up what we're going to look at from the text in Exodus chapter 12 this morning, it would just be one simple phrase, that everyone answers to someone. We have been in a series of lessons from the book of Exodus looking at what it means to be set apart. Not as in we think that we are Hebrews or we are Israelites, but we realize that as being the church and as being those that have been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, now we have been called to be sanctified, which means set apart. So what does that look like? So we've been walking through the book of Exodus looking at what it means to be set apart. Last week, we were in Exodus chapter 7 talking about the first plague that got God brought upon the Egyptian people. And we last, last week we were talking about God's authority and how God reveals his authority through his power and through his ability to control nature and to control people. The week before that we were talking about God's sovereignty. This Sunday we are going to take a big step forward and we're going to step from, step from plague 1 all the way through to plague 10 and we're going to consider God's judgment. So from plague 1 to plague 9, God shows his authority. He shows his authority over the Egyptians. He shows his authority over people. You think back to where we've been, Exodus chapter 7. The first plague is water into blood. The second plague is the coming of the frogs. The third plague is the coming of the gnats. The fourth plague is the flies. The fifth plague is the loss of animals. Number 6 is boils. Number 7 is hail. Number 8 is locusts. Number 9 is darkness. And then you get here to Exodus chapter 11 and God says, I've got one not two. I've got one final plague. And this final plague will not just show my authority, will not just show my sovereignty, but it will show my judgment. 
Now, we don't like to talk about judgment a lot in this world today because no one likes to feel like they're guilty. No one likes to feel like they're wrong. No one like, feel, likes to feel like they're less than. But the reality is, is that we all answer to someone. And that picture of accountability and that picture of answering is a picture of judgment. And far too frequent in our world today, we see people that rebel against authority because they have no fear of judgment. We, even in this room, we rebel against authority because we have no fear of judgment. And here in Exodus 12, God is going to show us the extent. He is going to show us the power of his, his judgment. He is going to show us what judgment looks like. So what I want us to do together this morning is, is we are going to start in Exodus chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 21, take it all the way down through verse 32, and try to set up the story. Now, Exodus is written as a narrative, and so it is telling an ongoing story. So you and I can come into the story, and we can see scene by scene by scene, or principle by principle by principle, or, or, or setting, or topic, or idea. So that is how we're going to attract, attack it this morning in Exodus chapter 12. In verse 1 down through verse 20, or God is telling Moses, Moses, this is what I'm going to do. This is how you all are going to respond. This is what's going to take place. He is setting up the scene. And then Exodus 12 and verse 21, Moses and Aaron then get the leaders of the people of Israel together and said, this is what God said we're going to do. So for the sake of time, because I know I always take more of your time than you expect, we're going to start in verse 21 for the sake of time and look at what the narrative shows us when it comes to the judgments of God. So starting in verse 21 of Exodus chapter 12, if you would follow along in your copy as I read out of my copy, this is what the Word of God says. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your house to strike you. You shall observe this, right, as a statue for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is a sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of people of Israel in Egypt, when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. I want to pause right there because as you see in your notes, I want to show you, I want you to see with me some insights that Moses, as he's writing this account in Exodus, some insights he gives into the judgment of God. The first insight that I want you to see with me is that judgment is universal. That judgment is universal. Here in the passage that I just read into your hearing, Moses tells to the people, this is what you're to do. God has specified that you are going to take the lamb, that you are going to kill the lamb, that you are going to bleed out the lamb, and then you are going to dip the hyssop, which was a small bush type thing. They didn't have what we considered to be brushes or paint brushes or something like that. So they would take the small little branch and they would dip it in there and it would almost be treated like a broom or a brush or something. And he said, take the blood put the hyssop in there that way you can uh, 
paint it on, if you will. The lintel was the horizontal, the, the header, if you will, and you had the two sides. And so Moses said, this is what you were to do. You were to take the blood and you were to wipe it on both sides of the doorpost and across the top. Why? Because God didn't know who was Hebrew and who was Egyptian? Because God didn't know the people's address? Because God couldn't tell the difference by their dialect or their ethnicity? No, it was because by doing so, they were going to identify themselves as being followers of God. And the explanation that is given is that when that death comes through that, that region and through that people, they will not be looking at whether you are a Hebrew or whether you're Egyptian. It's whether you have the blood or you don't have the blood. See, sometimes we start to think, well, because we're in church, that means we're special. Or because we are uh, members of a church, that means we are set apart. But what we're reminded from the Word of God is that judgment is universal. All of us, we will all one day face our Maker. Every single one of us, whether it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5 or whether it's Revelation chapter 20, every single one of us in this room, every single person that you know outside this room, all of us will one day face our maker. And this judgment is universal. It doesn't care what your last name is. It doesn't care about the color of your skin. It doesn't care about your education. It doesn't care about your money. It doesn't care about where you live. It doesn't care about what you've done. It doesn't care about what you, uh, where you've been, what you've seen, what you think. It doesn't matter. The judgment is coming. And the same judgment that Moses is warning the people about, that God has promised, this same judgment is real today. I want to remind you this morning that sin, sin and judgment do not discriminate. Sin and judgment do not come to your house and say, well, they're a nice person, I'm going to leave them alone. They don't come to your house and say, well, you know what, they're, they're not tempted by this and they're not tempted by that. One thing that is sure about Satan is Satan doesn't tempt us all the same. You see, Satan doesn't come to my house and tempt me with a Ford truck commercial. Because he knows that I'm not tempted the same way that Ron is tempted with a new Ford truck commercial. He doesn't come to my house and tempt me with some type of a, a Martin guitar or a Fender guitar, whatever the fancy guitar brand is, like he does Greg. He doesn't tempt me in that way. He tempts me with croutons and ice cream. Because God knows exactly where my weakness is. And so when we look around and we realize that, you know what, we are all tempted in different ways. We all sin in different ways. But what is true about all of us is that all of us sin. And the sin does not discriminate. And here in the text, Moses is saying, listen, people, this is what you've got to do. You've got to kill the lamb. You've got to shed the blood. You've got to put the blood up over the doorpost. And you've got to go through all of this. Why? Because that is what God required for atonement for their sins. And they understood that judgment was coming. This makes me think, you can put, write it down there in your margin, maybe put there in your notes. It makes me think about the story of Esther. Remember to the story of Esther, she is taken into the king's palace. She has made the queen after Vashti um, abdicated her position. And Mordecai, her uncle, is sitting outside the gate and they realize that Haman is going to hatch a plot and going to have all the Jews killed. Mordecai finds out about this. He goes to Esther and says, Esther, 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 you need to go talk to the king. And Esther's like, I can't go talk to the king because the king hasn't called me. And Mordecai sends her a message because he kind of gets this idea. You kind of get this feel from the text that Esther thinks, you know what? I am, in that I am in the palace. I am a queen. I am insulated from all those dangers that you all are facing outside the gate. 
Mordecai sends her a message, and it says this in Esther chapter 4 and verse 12. It says, Do not think yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Friend, judgment is universal. And the judgment of God is universal. And he will not care about your gender. He will not care about your history. He will not care about the chances you've had or the problems you've had. He will not care. And so here in Exodus chapter 12, Moses is saying, listen, listen. The only thing that is going to save you is the blood. The blood of the lamb. That's the only thing that is going to save you because the judgment is coming. And the judgment is going to come to the Egyptians and any Hebrews that don't have the blood of the post. The judgment is going to come to them as well. So what do they do? Verse 28. Underline this, circle this, highlight this. Then the people of Israel went and did so. As the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. You know, there's all kinds of examples that we see in not just Exodus, but we also see it in Joshua, where God tells Moses or God tells Joshua and says, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want you to do. And then Moses or Joshua then go tell the people. And can you imagine the people sitting there and they've seen the nine plagues. They know that Moses said he's going to do this and do that and the other. But then Moses comes to them and says, all right, here's what God says. You're going to sacrifice the lamb. You're going to put the blood over the doorpost, but it's not just that. You're also going to have a special meal and a special way to eat the meal. And then you're going to be dressed in a special way while you're eating the meal. And you're going to stay vigilant while you're eating the meal during the time. And at a particular time, at midnight, the death, God will come through. That death will come and sweep through, and then the Egyptians will send you out. Can you imagine the Hebrew people? For over 400 years, they've been in bondage. They have not known anything but slavery and bondage to the Egyptian people. For 400 years, multiple generations, they have not sacrificed to God. They have not practiced the atonement. They have not gone through any of that stuff. They have no understanding. Why does the blood of the lamb do this for us? They have no concept. They have no understanding that this is what's happening. And Moses is downloading in their brains, well, this is what we're going to do. And the people are like, yeah, whatever. The Nile turned to blood and Pharaoh didn't do anything. Flies and gnats and frogs and hail, darkness and boils, all this stuff came and Pharaoh didn't do anything. And now you're saying that God is supernaturally going to bring death to every household and Moses is going, yeah, that's what's going to happen. And the people could have just easily said, yeah, well, let's see if God does it and then we'll believe it. I want you to understand this morning, church, that not only is judgment universal, but judgment is promised. That judgment is promised. God said he will judge his creation. God has said it, and so therefore God will do it. And it will happen when God says, and it will happen how God says says. So many times we forget that the judgment of God is real, that the judgment of God is coming, that the judgment of God is true. And so you get to verse 28 and you see the people of Israel, when they say God's judgment is coming, what do the people do? They said, we will obey God. How many times do we hear the word of God 
And it goes in this way. <laughs> then it comes out this way. You get pulled over by a policeman. Why are you going so fast? And you make up some reason. The policeman says, slow down. Oh, yes, officer, I'll slow down. Until you get out of sight. <laughs> until you get out of jurisdiction. Or until the next day comes around. And how many times we come to the Word of God and we say, oh, yeah, God, God said to do this, God did, God did this, God did that. But our fear of God is not where it should be. And so we don't, uh, re, we don't come to God like we should. And we forget that not only is this judgment universal, but this judgment is promised. And we get these examples all throughout the pages of Scripture where God's people follow God's Word and we see the result that comes about of it. Let me just give you a couple. Maybe write these down in your notes. Maybe uh, note these in your Bible. Exodus chapter 7. This is what I focused on last week. When God tells Moses and Aaron, this is what I want you to do. It says in verse 20, Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. Then you skip to chapter 8 and verse 6. And it says, so Aaron stretched out his hands over the water and the frogs came up and covered the land. It's this idea that when God said do it, they did it. Then fast forward to Exodus chapter 8 and verse 17. And it says there, and they did so. And Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff, and he struck He struck the dust of the earth. Then again, chapter 9, verse 6. And the next day, the Lord did this thing. All the livestock and the Egyptians died, but none of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And then you go again to Exodus chapter 9 and verse 23. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven. The Lord sent thunder and hell and fire down upon the earth. Chapter 10, verse 13, Moses stretched out his staff over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land. Chapter 10, verse 22, Moses stretched out his hand toward heaven, and there was pitch darkness in all the land of Egypt three days. Just in those few chapters, we see examples where God said, this is what I'm going to do, and the people of God believed God and acted like God was true. What a difference it would make in this community and in this church if more of us acted like God's word was true. If more of us behaved like God's word was true. If more of us responded like God's word was true. If more of us took God at his word when God says to love me and love other people. And what if we did that like God is calling us to? God's judgment is universal. God's judgment is promised. So you see there in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 28, the people did as God had told them. Why? Because God keeps his promises. So then what happens? Well, verse 29. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. From the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive, who was in the dungeon. And all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all of his servants and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Imagine how this would take place in 2023. It's midnight. And all of a sudden, to use our terminology, your phone blows up. The text message, ding, 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 ding. The push notifications from the, the news, outlet, news outlets. 
All of these posts start showing up on social media and everybody starts turning in these reports. Every single house, there is a dead person in every single house. You come and you drive through the city blocks in Wellston and you look and every single house, there's someone that has died in every single house. And it's not just the house. Then you leave the city and you go out into the rural areas. You go out into the countryside and every single pasture, there are cattle dead, sheep dead, horses dead, goats dead, death all over the place. And it didn't happen incrementally. It didn't happen days after days after days. It didn't happen through a virus. It happened in a moment. And it reminds you and I when we think about this scene that not only is judgment promised, but judgment is deadly. And that's the promise that we get from God, that this judgment, this judgment brings about death. Sin and rebellion bring consequences from God. Now, why was the consequences then put out upon the Egyptian people? Because they had denied the authority of God. They had denied the sovereignty of God. They had denied God altogether. They had pursued their idols. They had spurned God. And God said, that's enough. How long do you think God's going to give us? How long do you think God's going to give this nation? I saw a video clip from a comedian at the press corps dinner at the White House last night. And this guy is celebrating and elevating drag queen story hour in the public school. And then making fun of those that get upset about the children that are killed in the shootings in the school. How long? It was Leonard Ravenhill that was then later made public by a man by the name of W.A. Criswell that talked about that if God would judge Sodom and Gomorrah in that way, then what do we think we have as the United States that is any more special than Sodom and Gomorrah? You see, all throughout Scripture, we see where the judgment of God, it is deadly. And here in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 29 down through verse 30, we see this picture of the death that has come. And why does the death come? It comes because of the sin of the people. It becomes, becomes the rebellion of the people. And that judgment, therefore, carries death. Think about Romans 6 and verse 23. For the wages of sin is death. We don't like to think about that. You and I don't like to dwell on that. We don't like to sit with that. We don't like to try to comp contemplate what does that mean for us because we don't like to think about death. But yet, all throughout the pages of Scripture, we're reminded that this judgment from God is death. But this is where the story turns from Exodus chapter 12 to April 30th of 2023. Because while we see the judgment of God being played out here in Exodus chapter 12, you and I, with a span of history between then and now, we all in this room have an opportunity to rejoice in the fact that Christ has taken our judgment. That Christ has taken our judgment. That Christ has come in. And the reason why the good news of the gospel is such good news because we understand the judgment of God and what the judgment of God brings. And then we understand what Christ has done on our behalf. Let me read it to you like this. You may write down Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. Oh, it's such a beautiful picture. It says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We talk about Romans 5 eight, but then we skip Romans 5.9. 
Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved from, or saved by him from the wrath of God. Talking about the judgment of God. Verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Paul is saying in Romans chapter 5, do you not understand the same judgment that God brought upon the Egyptians in Exodus chapter 12 is the same judgment we all deserve. But because of what Christ has done for us, that judgment has now been paid. That's great. That's good, Spence. That's all you got. Do you not understand the concept of death and now life? Do you not get the idea that now you and I are sitting in this room with the gift, with the blessing, with the opportunity to say our judgment has been paid? I think sometimes we hear it so much that it doesn't quite make us excited anymore. In the early days of 2000. And four, I started dating this gorgeous brunette from South of Enid. And I remember at the first stages of our relationship, her looking at me and saying, I love you. And you know, in the first few days, you're just like, hmm. She loves me. And you get all excited. And then you look at her and I love you too. And it's just that kind of this tingly stuff, right? And then somewhere along the way, if we're not careful, we're married long enough that that I love you just doesn't have the same excitement as it used to have. And let me warn you, brothers and sisters, sometimes the same thing can happen with the Word of God. Sometimes we can so much hear about Christ's death on the cross for our sins that we stop getting excited and we stop getting happy and we stop smiling about it and we stop going, oh, praise the Lord, hallelujah. We stop getting excited because we've stopped understanding exactly what He has done for us. Let me read for you another way. 1 John in chapter chapter 2, listen to verse 1. John says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but the sins of the whole world. What John is saying is, do you not understand that all of you all are there in Exodus chapter 12? All of you all stand under the judgment of God. All of you all deserve the death that judgment brings. All of you all are lost and hopeless without Christ. But now, we have hope in the Savior. Now we have something to be excited about. So Moses comes here in Exodus chapter 12 and he says, Do you want, I want you to understand about the judgment of God. Because apart from the judgment of God, we have no good news in Jesus Christ. If all of us are going to heaven without doing anything, without the blood of Jesus Christ, then what is there to be happy about? So he says in Exodus chapter 12, he wants them to understand that this judgment is universal. This judgment is promised. This judgment is deadly. But oh, brothers and sisters, let me give you one final insight that Moses reminds us of. And that this death is, or that this judgment is eternal. That this judgment, it's eternal. Where do I get this from? Well, you continue on there in verse 31 and listen to how Pharaoh responds. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night. So it's the middle of the night. Maybe, I don't know what time it was. It's been long enough that they've understood the extent of the judgment. They've understood the extent of the carnage. They've understood the extent of the death. And it says, then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night. And he said, up, 
Go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. Death is eternal because there's no coming back from death. Death is final. It doesn't matter if Pharaoh let the people go, his son is still dead. It doesn't matter if all the Egyptians let all the Hebrew people go, their children are still dead. The time had come. God had given them time to repent. God had given them time to turn. God had given them time to submit to his sovereignty, his authority, and they did not. And so therefore death came in and this death is final. Sometimes we come and we in moments of sorrow, we're in moments of loss, and we start to get mad at God. And we start to say, God, it's your fault that this person died. God, it's your fault that this has happened. And we start to blame God, but instead we should be blaming sin. Why has death come into the world? Because of sin. And yet we will blame God, but we won't blame sin. Something else that I find striking here in just these two verses of the text, Pharaoh didn't repent. You read on here in Exodus chapter 12, the Egyptians do not repent. They see the Hebrew people as being the cause and the problem of their misfortune and the sorrow and their death, but they never say, God is God and we repent to God. We were talking about this last Wednesday night when we were talking about the book of Exodus and how you get in the middle of these judgments and these seals and these trumpets and these bowls and all this stuff coming in. And I want to say it's like Revelation chapter 9. After all this stuff happened, the people still did not repent and turn to God. All the evidence that you could ask for to say that God is God and that God has authority over your life. And yet the people will not turn. The people will not respond. And there are people in this room right now That you know that God is saying in your heart, stop it, or start it, or he's telling you to turn. And you are sitting here right now, and you said, I will listen, but I will not respond. May I tell you this morning that not responding is still a response. And this death death is not just final, but but we get this picture that, that Moses says, you know what, here's the deal. Either you're going to repent and rejoice in the beauty that God has given you, you're going to rebel, and you're going to live with regret forever. And this judgment that Moses is picturing has not changed from then until now. This judgment that is coming for all of us is universal. This judgment that is coming for all of us is promised. This judgment that is coming for all of us is deadly. And this judgment coming for all of us is eternal. Let me ask you to turn one more place to Matthew chapter 25. So I want to show you this in Matthew chapter 25 where we see this played out in the days yet to come. Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is talking about the end times. And he's talking about what is going to happen in the coming future. And in chapter 25, and starting in verse 31, some of your Bibles may have a a different heading, a different section in your Bible, and it may say something like the final judgment. And Jesus is telling his disciples before his crucifixion, he's saying, this is what is coming. This is what is going to happen. I won't give you a date on the calendar, but you can write it over the top of the calendar. This moment is coming. The judgment is coming. This time is going to happen. And he says in verse 31, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. 
And he will separate one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 46. And these will go away into eternal, eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Jesus tells all the people that were there that were listening that there's going to come a day. And notice he says that all the nations, everybody will be there. Everybody will be gathered up. Oh, I realize you may say, oh, Spence, we have divisions, we have separations. Oh, the time is coming. You may say, oh, no, Spence, no, no. See, we're, we're, we're not all the same. Oh, yes, we are still the same. All nations will be gathered there. And Jesus will do what? He is pictured as the shepherd. And who is the one that does the dividing? It is the shepherd. He doesn't come up and say, well, how do you identify? He doesn't come up and say, what do people think about you? He doesn't come up and say, let's take a poll, let's take a vote. He doesn't come up and say, well, do you think you deserve this? He doesn't come up and say, well, tell me tell me why I should let you into heaven as so, so many of those jokes go. He doesn't do any of that. We're all gathered before God, and he says, goats, sheep. And that's it. It's final. And it's eternal. That's what it says there in verse 46. Eternal punishment, but eternal life. Brothers and sisters, one of the most important decisions you can ever make is where you're going to spend eternity. That is the most important thing about you. And so many times I am guilty and we are guilty of meeting someone and one of the first questions that come out of our mouth is what do you do for a living? Who cares? Where are you going to be in 5055? Where are you going to be in 9,034? Where are you going to be in a million years from now? That's the question. So Moses gives us this picture in Exodus chapter 12 of what this judgment looks like and gives us a warning even today of why we should be concerned about the judgment of God because everyone answers to someone. So how do we take this then and apply it to our lives? We, we use in this uh, kind of a uh, application uh, matrix, if you will, comes from the core value that we've adopted as a church, and that is build families, teach the Bible, be the church. So then how do we look at this in light of these three core values and practice, practicing these three core values? Well, I have three questions, and then I will get out of your ear this morning. Three questions that kind of help kind of think about, okay, so where do we at? How do we gauge ourselves? Where, where do we stand when it comes to the judgment of God. The first question is this. What do families fear? Now I realize you may say oh, Spence is supposed to be who or it's supposed to be whom. Uh, plug in whatever you want to. The question is is what do our families fear? Do our families fear God or do our families fear culture? Do our families fear God or do they fear the peer pressure? Do they fear God or do they fear the opinions of children? We are a society that worship children. Because we don't fear God. What do our families fear? If we're going to build families, then we have to build families in the fear of God. 
Because the fear of God then informs everything else that we do. If we won't fear God in our homes, then why do we expect our families to fear God outside our homes? And if we won't teach our children how to fear God, then why do we expect them to fear God when they leave our house? And so much of the rot and the decay that is happening in our society, in our culture, and in the church is because we have an entire group of people that don't fear God. Second question. <clears throat> Why is the gospel good news? Why is the gospel good news? We talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ being good news. Why is it good news? Jesus came, he died on a cross, he died, he was buried in the tomb, he rose on the third day, he came up out of the tomb, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, he has made the way so you can be forgiven of your sins. That is the good news. 1 Corinthians 15 talks about, Paul says, this is the telling of the gospel. But the thing we so often miss is why is it good news? Because of the judgment that is coming. Because the judgment that God has revealed throughout Scripture and the judgment that is still awaiting us, the gospel is not good news if there is no justice of God. And sometimes we want to jump straight to the warm and fuzzy cherry pie of the Scripture and we skip the whole idea that you are a sinner in the eyes of God and that carries a penalty and sin and judgment before God. We skip the truth because we want to get to the hope. Third question. How does the church demonstrate faith? Go back up to Exodus chapter 12 and verse 28. It says, And the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. That God said, do this, and they went and did that. And if you were a lost person and you came into this room this morning, what is it that you would see in this place that is a demonstration of our faith in God. Lost people can build buildings. Lost people can put up lights. Lost people can get a monkey in a suit to stand up in front and talk. Lost people can put air conditioning. Lost people can buy chairs. Lost people can get sound amplification. Lost people can get a screen. Lost people can draw a crowd. What is it that we are doing as a church that demonstrates our faith in God. Over and over and over, God said he was going to do it, and the people believed him, and then the people acted like he was going to do it. Over and over and over, not just in the Old Testament, but then you get to the New Testament, and, and the first pages of Acts is about the people going, you know what, Jesus was telling the truth, and we're going to act like he was telling the truth. And then we find ourselves... We find ourselves in a season of time where we say we believe that God's word is true, but we don't act like it. And brothers and sisters, I wonder what it is this morning that a lost person would walk in and they would see the church doing that as a demonstration of faith. There are opportunities that lay in front of this church in the next days, weeks, and months ahead. That they don't have to make sense logically. They don't have to be what we've done before. 
They don't have to be what someone else is doing that we want to model. They just have to be what God is leading us to do and that we decide that we're going to do what God tells us to do more than what we tell us to do. And there's sometimes decisions that you have to make in your life that somebody may go, well, that's kind of crazy or that's kind of weird or where'd you get that idea from? You know what? God has told me to do it and I'm going to go do it. Oh, it's not comfortable. It's not supposed to be comfortable. Oh, it's supposed to be easy. Who said it was going to be easy? I don't understand. Who says you have to understand? The people of Israel went and did so as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. So how does the church demonstrate faith today? I don't know where the subject of judgment reaches you. I don't know where you stand for every single one of you in this room. I don't know where you stand under the grace and the mercy of God. I don't know where you stand when it comes to your eternity from God. But I know that today is a day that not a single person in this room can leave without knowing that God's judgment is true, that God's judgment is real, and that God's judgment is coming. So therefore, it leads you to have an opportunity to respond.